G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. In the late 18th century, William Wilberforce was converted. Almost single-handedly, he broke the shackles of slavery. People there were just totally different. We are looking at the footprint of God over the last 2,000 years. Since the Roman legion destroyed Jerusalem in the year 70 AD, the Jewish people have a nation of their own. And he said, well, no, Randy, we're not all just faking it. There is a living hope, and his name is Jesus. And I believe that that's really why you're here. Christ died for us. History Makers. Hi, and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're hearing from Pastor Clark Taylor. Greg Newman caught up with him recently. 16th of June, 1974. Your lounge room at Capera is very crowded. Why is that? Well, I'd sent out word to my friends that we're going to start a church. And we had this meeting and there's 31 people there. They were crowding. We only had a little tiny home, and obviously we I thought we'd have a few meetings in our house, but we couldn't fit any more in. So we hired a hall, and the next Sunday there was, I think, 100, 120 or something came, and then it just kept exploding with growth. And that's when you get, I suppose, a, a godly urge to ring Ray White. Yes, I was up praying. There were some motorbike tracks up on the hills behind our house, and I used to go up there and walk and pray. And God said to me, Ring Ray White, he's got a building for you. And I said, God, we haven't got any money. We're only 12 weeks old. Nobody's got any real loyalty to this place. Uh, that's really impossible. But he ignored me and he said, Ring Ray White, he's got a building for you. Again, I objected and again he ignored it, which he's ignored me many times. And he said again, ring Ray White. So I went home and I rang Ray White. And he said, yes, I have got a building in Wollongabba, but I think it's sold. They've offered uh, $30,000 uh, in 60 days' time. And the owners are considering that. I think they'll accept it. I found myself saying, I'll give them the asking price, 35000 in 30 days. And he said, well, I'll put that to them. So they accepted it. So I turned up at church next day and I said, you're so fortunate to have me as your pastor. I went shopping last week and I bought a church. And I'd be really grateful if some of you had helped me pay for it. In the natural, there was no way to pay for it. We paid cash in 30 days. 1977, a new TV program comes on air, A New Way of Living. Uh, I believe it's Australia's first paid Christian TV program. Uh, in fact, I recall watching several programs, of course, Sunday morning. You mostly wore your safari suit. You loved the safari suit and a special sports jacket. Where did you get that jacket? I got it at St Vincent's because uh, I didn't have a good coat. Anne and I were really pretty poor. Uh, so I bought it for $5.00. It had the lining torn, so I always kept it buttoned up while I was on TV so nobody could see the tear. Stories went around that I had a Swiss bank account, but if only they knew, I had hardly anything in the bank account I did have. 
but it didn't matter. The power of God fell. People came, and that cost us $5,000 a week. And back in 1977, that was a lot of money. That would be equal to 50000 a week today. And we had no money. We just believed God. I've really never had money, but I have got a great God. By the end of 1980, there are 16 Christian outreach centres. The church also has a Bible college at Mount Tachikoi. That was established in 1978. Christian school is open. Uh, that was another one of your dreams and visions. By 1982, the Christian Outreach Centre, now based at West End, has completely run out of room. Now, I love reading in the book the story of a lady waiting for a bus to church and has a chat with a man about Mansfield. Yes, well, I'd said to the church, we have to find some land where we can build a bigger church. And this lady was sitting beside a bloke and she just said to him, and she said, my pastor's looking for some land. He said, I know where there's 25 acres at Mansfield. It's a horse paddock. It's up for sale. It's a bankrupt auction or something. So we went and bought that. I believe we paid $45,000. I think that's correct. The church makes the move to Mansfield. The first service is held in May 1983. Great news, exciting times. But 12 months into this new home, you have a heart attack. Yes, I was, um, I was really... It was a major heart attack. And the doctors wondered if I'd live through it. But I did. I collapsed. But there was a Dr. Mika there. And she was part of my church. And she saw me walking away from the breakfast must have looked pale so she followed me and I collapsed towards my office she gave me morphine I was really glad for that rang the ambulance got to hospital 1984 the church building is too small I believe so so you expand and by early 1986 payments are made the extension is open also, you note know that the land adjoining the COC's 25 acres is for sale. And you say in the book, The Bloke from the Bush, that God is telling you to buy it and you should offer $3 million, but it was worth a lot more than that. Yeah, they wanted $11 million for it. We'd put 2,500 seats extension. Our church held 5,500 people then. I said, God, we're, we're all given everything we've got. We haven't got any money. We can't buy that land. And they'd want a lot for it. It's Carondale. It's well, one of the expensive suburbs of Brisbane. Uh, 135 acres, I believe it was. Anyhow, God just said again, ring, ring them. And so I did. And they said, yes, the price is $11 million. And I said, there you are, God. He said, they'll take three. Anyhow, a businessman who's a friend of mine and I travelled to Sydney in George Street and we saw the head of this real estate firm Finally, he accepted three, but we only had $2,000. So when it came time for the deposit, I said, I'd like to put $2,000 down as a token. Owner's terms, no interest. I'll give you a million dollars in six months, million dollars six months after that, and the rest of it at whatever time. He said, you've wasted my time. I didn't know what to do. So I said, God, there you go. I told you it wouldn't work or something. The Lord said he'll take it. And eventually he accepted that offer. I found out later that it was good for them. They needed a paper sale and we had the land. So God knew what I didn't know. He just didn't let me into what he knew. 
he got let me suffer a lot of embarrassment. 1986, Clark, the, the Christian Heritage College is established and about uh, 150 COC churches have been planted in Australia as well as New Zealand, Fiji and other places. It sounds like a, a frantic time. Now, how were you feeling at the time? A bit exhausted during 1986, that period? I was always exhausted. Edward, I moved from being extremely tired to totally exhausted. It was always very, very busy. It's now 1989 and we read in Chapter 8 that your Achilles heel is moral failure. It was about to be printed in the Courier Mail newspaper that you had an affair. You confessed to your children at church. You preach for the final time and you confess that sin and resign. Now, rather than talk about the guilt and, and, and the shame you would have felt, which you speak about later in the book and the loss of dignity, uh, can we just touch on that just for a moment? Would you like to just elaborate on that? Sure. Nobody likes their most private life exposed, discussed, talked about. And, of course, you can't do what I did without creating people who don't like you because there are some people who don't like to see Christ glorified. There are some Christians that are very judgmental in their attitude. I personally felt like a worm in the bottom of the gutter. Uh, you couldn't get any lower. My feelings were in turmoil. Everything I'd dreamed about, I'd failed, uh, that caused uh, the cessation of the dream that was in my heart from God. It was really the most darkest of places that a human being can get to. There is no excuse for sin of any kind, and especially moral sin. Soon after you filed for divorce, was it because you thought that was the right thing to do? It was because I felt at the time, I loved Anne, but I felt we couldn't connect. And if I found a wife that I could connect with, then this thing wouldn't rear its head anymore. Of course, that's not so. But by then I was so broken that a lot of my... I never lost my love for God through everything. I never lost my zeal for God, my love for God. But the brokenness is something that would be extremely difficult to describe. And it was in that brokenness that I filed for divorce, something I've regretted enormously. You then head to America. Were you married to anyone at this particular time when you moved to America? No, I wasn't. Okay. I think it was meant for a short period, but you stayed on five years. I don't get the picture from the book that it was a a great period of your life. I don't think you had a permanent home at the time. What are your feelings reflecting back to America? Well, I was invited over there by a preacher who showed me kindness. And when you're in the place that I was in, very few show you any kindness. You're shunned, basically. And this preacher showed me kindness and he asked me to come over and preach in a tent for him. And... I could hardly refuse because he'd been kind to me. 
So I went there for two or three weeks, I forget how long, uh, by his invitation. I knew two preachers in America and um, I stayed with one of them in his home and I started to get invitations because the power of God was still with me. And to a great extent, the presence of God was still with me. I love Jesus Christ, always have. I love God with a passion. That passion didn't fade. It was just accompanied with an inner guilt and sense of uh, failure that I could never shake. Nor did I particularly set out to shake because it was real. And I thought, whatever I've got, I've deserved it. So I got about a hundred odd invitations. I spoke at one pastor's conference. There was 150 pastors there and around about a hundred of them invited me to their churches. We had a wonderful time, God and I, making the we, in America, but still there was that nagging guilt. And the presence around me was not the same as it used to be of the present. 1998, more heart attacks, multiple surgery. You're diagnosed with cardiomyopathy. I think I got that right, cardiomyopathy. And the doctors tell you, you will die. Did you feel that diagnosis was right? Well, it seemed to be right. Like I was, I didn't have a lot of heart function left. Uh, about 26% at the time, I think. And they suggested that I only had a matter of months left to live. All my life since I discovered the power of God, I would turn to God with every question. Turning to God to me is like breathing. I ask God about everything. I haven't always been perfect as we've talked about, but I ask God about everything. I have always been sincere. In this chapter, we also read of your letters, which you wrote to Anne. And uh, at this stage, of course, you are divorced from Anne. She didn't respond to the letters, but you kept writing, hoping that maybe one day you might just be friends or you could mow her lawn. Uh, It's Christmas 1999, more health concerns, but perhaps the best Christmas present of the 90s came with the rekindling of your relationship with Anne. Yes, I'd been in Alaska, and in Alaska I had an experience with God. That was the beginning of the restoration of my life. Well, that was the culmination of the restoration of my life. And he spoke to me about many things, about how my mind worked and how my emotions worked. And and he said to me, if I would do five things, one of which was to try to have a reconciliation with COC, more importantly than that, was if I would attempt to reconcile with Anne. He didn't tell me that the reconciliation would be successful. He just told me to attempt it. So that night, uh, a great love for Anne rose up in my heart. Wrote to Anne quite a long letter. I never got a response, didn't really expect one in many ways. Anyhow, I kept on writing and I'd tell her about the miracles and the healings and the salvations and and I wrote long letters every night after a meeting 
That was my routine. I'd come home, make myself a cup of tea and write to Anne. I asked Robin, our daughter, for our engagement photograph of Anne and I. And so she sent it to me. And as I unpacked, I went to a a, um, self-contained motel. They were very cheap. So I I lived fairly cheaply. I didn't have a lot of money. And uh, I would put Anne's photograph and mine. That was the first thing I unloaded from the car. I'd put it up on my dressing table. And then I'd unpack everything. And then I'd sit down and write to Anne. That was my routine. And uh, the relationship developed. 2001. December 2nd. I'm sure you remember that particular date, Clark. Well, Anne and I were remarried. Uh, I'd come home from America. I was very ill. We met at Linda's home. It was the first time the family had been together for 10 years. 2001, great year, also saw the birth of a new church, the Worship Centre in Brisbane, which is surrounded by the Manipi Parklands, and that is significant too, if you can recall. The, I've heard the story of the church and how it got planted. Yes, I was in America, and I came to a lady called Ruth Heflin, who's in heaven now. But Ruth was a renowned prophetess, and I knew her well and her brother Walter, and I'd said to Ruth... Sister Ruth, if God has a word for me, would you please tell me I've got a decision to make? I didn't tell her anything else. At early next morning, my custom was to rise early and go and pray. I was coming back from prayer. It was a bit after daylight. Ruth went by in her car and she wound the window down and said, Brother Clark, God woke me this morning early and he said that you're to go back to your own country and he has a building prepared for you and it's surrounded by parklands. So that was when I decided, well, I'm going home. And it was uh, time after that that Anne and I were married. Mm, Great story, yes. And Worship Centre, surrounded by the Manipi parklands. Amazing. 2005, talking about heartbeat, your your heart literally stopped beating while you were preaching. Clark, medical evidence, facts say you should be dead. Yes, well, five times while I preached, my heart stopped and uh, I, to all intents, died. But I had an inbuilt defibrillator that brought me back to life. And 19 times that happened, that it brought me back to life again. And then the specialist and the cardiologist both said to me, Clark, it won't bring you back much longer. You have very little heart muscle left for it to work on. And so they thought within three months I'd be dead. But I asked God again, I said, God, will I live or will I die? And he said, no, you'll live and not die. So I had no question of dying. I'd never had a thought that I would die because God said I'd live. And even when I was wheeled into theatre time and again, I never, ever thought that I was going to die. One more medical story. 2008, you have a transplant, so all going well? All going very well. There is no chapter 11 in the book, but if your daughter Linda was to write that final chapter, what would we read? You'd read that I love God with all my heart.
that I'm leading a pure and holy life, you'd read that that God and I are best friends, that I love him with every ounce of my being, and I love people. I love people with a passion. I want to see people come to Christ. And those of you that are listening to this broadcast, if you would just close your eyes or leave them open and say this prayer from your heart to Jesus Christ, saying these words after me, Lord Jesus Christ, come into my heart, come into my life, be my Lord, be my Saviour, Please forgive all of the wrong things I've ever done. Walk with me. Have patience with me. Become my friend. I give you my life today, totally and unreservedly. And I hope you did that. And if you did that, then you find yourself a good Christian that you must know one, or knock on the door of a good church and talk to their pastor. Join a good church, not a dead church, but a live church, and grow up there. You will never have found a life so exciting as a life following God. He'll lead you places you never dreamed of going. He'll do with you things beyond your imagination, and you'll come to know the creator of the universe and the savior of your soul. There is no question about it. Thanks for joining us on History Makers. If you'd like to listen to this interview again, just go to historymakers.tv. There you'll find links to Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or check out our YouTube clips. History Makers is a faith-based ministry and we appreciate all of your support. The vision of History Makers is to share the good news of Jesus all over the world. If you've got a suggestion of someone we can interview, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless you. Have an awesome day. I'm Matt Prater, and why don't you go and make history? History Makers. History Makers is proudly sponsored by Bible League, who serve the local church and other partners around the world by providing Bibles, scripture materials, and training to help people meet Jesus. They provide God's Word to a lost and needy world. Bible League plants Bibles in prisons, among persecuted Christians and in poor nations, bringing the love and light of Christ into many people's lives around the world. Make history today by joining our friends at Bible League and planting a Bible that will help someone meet Jesus. Go to bl.org.au. Station sponsor. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.